I feel like you took a longer pause before Ignite than you usually do before Go, so I hit it. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> Unique New York? <laughs> yes. Got <laughs> uh, <clears throat> to stretch out for this one. <laughs> stretch out the uvula. Is that a muscle? And now, our feature presentation, Imitating Art with Don and Chuck. All right. Well, welcome to Imitating Art on this podcast. We like to talk about movies and the lessons we may learn from them. And today, we're going to be talking about a movie called The Trial of the Chicago 7. I'm Don. And I'm Chuck. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, well, well, let's chat a little bit. <laughs> this is my radio <laughs> voice. <laughs> so how's things in uh, the great state of New Jersey after the election? Well. Or after the more, mostly official results, I think. I, f I feel like you got a little too specific with great state of New Jersey. Hmm. Um, it's okay. Restaurants have to close at 10 o'clock again. Thanks, um, Obama. <laughs> Uh, well, if he could have, he would have. Am I right? <laughs> well, yeah. He would have done it in March, and then we might not be here now. <laughs> he would have taken steps in January. <laughs> that too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for me, it was it's it's still, uh, since I wasn't in the U.S. In, in, in March or in January, I didn't really know how things were going anywhere but on the ship. So, it, and it was such a strange situation. It felt very isolated. And everybody at home was not really, uh, like, experiencing any change yet. Not, no, not Basically yet. not until I got home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we went to New York at the end of February, and that right. was, like, the the end of when things could happen, basically. Yeah, that was for Hey Riddle Riddle, right? Yep. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, things right. uh, in, in New Jersey are, are okay. Um, a lot of people not liking phil murphy what's new but other than that you know we've just been watching some movies and tv i've been trying to read a little more because i don't know if you remember at the beginning of the year i set the goal of just reading 12 books by the end of the year where'd you end where'd you end up so, so far so within the past week or so i finished two because i nice. finished one and then the next one i i then read the first harry potter book was which was just a very quick read mm -hmm. so those two bring me to nine okay oh you're, you're you're doing well that's including uh a screenwriting book that i read at the very beginning of the year and the dungeon world rule book <laughs> which i did read end to end and that is like 300 pages so i said why not oh I'll i can't include that. it it's a lot of words also that also includes a like a hundred 20 page graphic novel i read last week which took me about 30 minutes mm -hmm. but i decided to count it hey whatever you gotta do maybe you'll end up reading 13 that's what i'm hoping and then you can decide which one doesn't count <laughs> and then i'm also reading uh when i'm using the restroom i have astrophysics for people in a hurry which has been sitting in there for probably two or three years mm -hmm. but i'm reading it now and that's another short one 
So hopefully by the time I get the book I'm reading now done and that one done, that'll bring me to 11. So I should be able to read. Yeah, I should be able to read uh, more than 12 this year, hopefully. So I can not feel bad about the the couple that I didn't feel like should really be included. Yeah, I I really want to get back into reading. I was in the midst of reading Sapiens for quite a while, but it's a very... It's a very dense like book. Like it's very interesting, but it's just like dense, and you have to sit with the information for a while. And I'm sure. I'm really like I, I I love I love learning stuff like that. But I need another book on the side. I need a fiction book as well because I love getting into a book that I don't want to put down. And mm-hmm. Sapiens is not that book. <laughs> um, while it is very interesting, it's just not the kind of book that you that I got sucked into, and I can't stop. I always feel like I have to stop and process things versus being excited to see where the story goes. Right. No, I totally understand. Uh, I also didn't finish A People's History of the United States, but I got further than halfway through. That one, like I could, I mean, that one is like segmented in a way where like, okay, I'm going to read this chapter and then you're kind of, it's like short stories almost where oh, yeah. you can read it, you can read another one and then like, and even though it's just like, well, shit, I got to sit with this reality for a little while. Um, it was a lot easier to get through and I always wanted to, I kept wanting to go back to it because I'm learning more about the truth behind things and the re- the reality behind things that I was taught in school. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about going back to that one sometime soon and starting from the beginning, but trying to finish it this time. Yeah, that's one that I do go back to once in a while. I'll just read certain chapters out of and I'm like, right, I forgot just how bad this was. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, how, how do you feel about uh, audiobooks? Do they count? They count. If I had listened to one, I, I would count that. I'm only why, asking... Why, why would it not count? I'm asking for myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that it doesn't count, but I mean, I feel like there is definitely a different, like, input that goes into imagining things when you're reading the words yourself versus when you're listening to somebody read them to you. And at least mm-hmm. for me, when I'm reading or listening to an audiobook, I'm almost definitely doing something else. I'm not sitting on the couch with my eyes closed listening to an audiobook. I'm probably hiking or walking or driving, and there's other stimuli happening versus me focusing completely on the book. So it feels a little bit different to me, but it is like, it is definitely something that I want to get some more audiobooks because rather than listen to podcasts, you know, I, I love listening to podcasts, but I think I'd rather listen to a more longer, a long form story and get some of the books that I've wanted to read for a long time, you know, in while I'm doing the hiking that I'm going to be doing anyway. So um, I have been considering, you know, trying to decide which books I, I, I want to I want to dive into on my hikes now that I have a place that I can go on a regular basis around here. Yeah. I, I like audiobooks. I, I had an Audible subscription for a while mm-hmm. and, and would listen to them while I'm driving. Uh, so even though, yeah, I was doing something else, I still ended up having the same problem with audiobooks that I have with real books, which is I get to a sentence and I realize I don't know what happened in the last <laughs> three, four paragraphs. Yeah. So I would just end up rewinding the audiobook to, to the point I, I last remembered. And it's it's the same thing. Yeah. But I feel like like the dis- descriptions come through a little bit clearer for me at least when it's in an audiobook. Okay. Just because there's w- good audiobooks have like good voice actors reading the books. Right. Yeah. So it's not just someone reading it dryly. So 
just when a good voice actor is like intonating things about the the description of the environment or or anything else i feel like it comes through a little yeah. more clearly whereas when i'm reading a book i i am picturing it but i'll realize that again i'll get to the, like the end of that description and i'll be like wait i missed something what did i miss and then i have to like go back and oh there's this three word sentence that describes something and now i know what's going on mm-hmm. but like when a voice actor is reading it, it doesn't feel like a, a wall of text, right? Because they're, some of the they're much better at doing the voices than I am in my head, right? Yeah, most of the um, audiobooks I've listened to have been from like celebrity authors or people whose voice I already knew, Stephen Tobolowsky, um, mm-hmm. uh, but mainly like uh, Tina Fey and Nick Offerman's books. I like I listened to the audiobook, and I'm so glad I did because. When you're reading the book, you're going to be hearing their very, like, uh, you know, you're going to be hearing their voice in your head anyway. So actually hearing it, especially somebody with like a voice like Nick Offerman, is such a great way because just the way he speaks made that book like so so good. Um, still one of my favorites. So uh, that, I think that's another reason that I haven't jumped into as many other audiobooks because like I want. I kind of want to know the author in, in a way. Like I want to, I want to know the voice I'm hearing. I like that familiarity, which is why when I first started listening to podcasts, I pretty much only listened to stuff you should know for such a long time. Because anytime I listen to another podcast, I would think you're not Josh and Chuck. I don't want to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while, and then I started finding all these other good personalities out there. Yeah. Well, the the thing about familiarity in regards to that. Uh, with audiobooks is I feel like those books you're talking about specifically are the, like the, those are less fiction and more like memoir. They're just like comedic memoirish kind of things. Yeah. So those are like very personal stories to them where they're yeah. telling their own stories. So it makes sense to have them right, reading it. Um, but if it were like a novel or something like that, it's very fun to hear some voice actor who you've probably ne- never heard of like so you're kind not of nail all these different voices That's yeah it. and then yeah they're just able to give different personalities to yeah. the different characters however i would like to hear will arnett read a book to me sure <laughs> me too so um yeah well anyway um we'll both we should both get into some audiobooks but um let's take a quick break and then come back and talk about this movie sounds good all right meow meow <laughs> Uh, well, are we back? I think we're back. All right. <laughs> what movie do you want to talk about today? The Netflix original, The Trial of the Chicago 7? Sure, why not? Yeah, let's, let's do it. I, I got just, some notes I, I coincidentally just watched it today, so... Oh, well. See that? This is why we work well together. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you. Um, so, I, I, didn't, I went into this not knowing anything about it. Um, I didn't know the history of it and I wasn't, I didn't really, I hadn't really heard anything about the movie itself. Had you? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's fairly new, so I didn't want to watch too much about it because I, I wanted to watch it. Um, I didn't know too much about the history. Like I knew protesters got arrested protesting 
one of the, you know, Democratic parties. conventions. Yeah, I know it was one of the party's conventions. I couldn't remember if it was Republican or, or Democrat. I, I didn't really know anything around it. Like, I know who Abby Hoffman is, but mm-hmm. beyond that, I didn't really know too much. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the extent of what I knew. And um, But it never, you know, I, I didn't have any of the details, which is great. Why it's great to see movies like this being made. And, you know, because it takes this little thing in history that a lot of people might not know about and really kind of makes it more, like, real, I guess. Um, and it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to imagine. I mean, right off the bat, it's hard to imagine, like, how that was 50 years ago. And this, like, the stuff they were saying and protesting is the same shit we're protesting right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it all was scary how cyclical it felt. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably one of the reasons that they made that movie right now because they're like, well, this is the same thing. <laughs> For sure. And it, um, I mean, it was Aaron Sorkin, so it was definitely why he wanted to make it. And Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm sure they uh, commiserated over the things we're saying right now as well. But um, when, it, when the movie started, I wasn't really sure where it was going, um, but they were talking about the draft. And just like right away, I started thinking about the draft and like how crazy it, it, it just seems crazy to me. I understand the idea behind it, but, but like the idea of randomly being chosen by your birthday to go fight in a war that is, you know, historically has been proven we should not have had anything to do with. (laughs) And, um, yeah, it's just kind of kind of nuts to think that that was 50 years ago and how much things have changed in some ways yet stayed very much the same in others. Yeah, I mean... Like, imagine a draft now. Like, you and I would, yeah, we wouldn't be going to no. war if we were drafted. We'd be going to jail or Canada. I don't know what age range there there is for being drafted. I don't, I don't know if we could still be drafted. Yeah, no, I didn't mean now. I meant, like, if we were drafted in 2003 when George Bush... Oh, 2000. Yeah. Too, when George Bush started the war. Yeah, pe- people were scared of that happening. Yeah, I know. I remember. And, I mean, <laughs> in, it was such a big myself. thing. Well, at least we got the Patriot Act out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that was George Bush peeking in for a second. <laughs> <laughs> peeking out from behind his easel. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah I, yeah, I can't even imagine. I, I would not be an asset on the, on the battlefield. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I think we both might be able to talk our way out of it like jury duty. <laughs> like, listen, sure. you, don't, you don't want me there. <laughs> I, I think I could convince someone that I should not be anywhere near, near battle. I was a lot more out of shape in 2003 also. Um, so they'd be like, do you, where, where exactly do you want me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um yeah, maybe or maybe I would have uh, just uh, keep screwing up and get discharged. <laughs> yeah, dishonorable. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Didn't want to be here in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna be a photographer. I don't need uh, nobody's gonna be looking at my military record. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, and, and you know, I didn't even actually, I didn't really think back to the uh, Iraq War in 2002. Like, I didn't really think back to that until we just started talking about it. So, like, thinking about the fact that, yeah, there were people, I know people who went to war, I know people mm-hmm. who enlisted because of it, 
and I know people who died there and didn't come back. So it's like the the idea of the the people talking about the draft at that point. I I had kind of completely forgotten that was a that was a thought um, that we actually had in our lifetimes. Yeah, I don't know if it was an actual thought that the government was having, but it was certainly a fear that the the youth was having. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I totally understand wanting to protest a war. Yeah, I, you know, not, I, I haven't been out in the streets protesting one, but I mean, ideologically, I have been protesting all of the conflicts we've been in in the past twenty years. Agreed. Um, so. But I mean, there's so many similar messages in this movie as the, then there as there as are, we are having right now. Like there's this like an anger at a changing world that just keeps on, you know, seemingly stepping backwards while we're trying to take a step forward. Yeah, and not just it's not just like the the messages and, and the fears and all that that feel the same. Just but also just like Abby Hoffman's whole idea. I mean, who knows how much of all of this is true because it's a movie, but right. at least in the movie, Abby Hoffman's whole idea of cameras on me, let's make it as political as possible. Yeah. Like, they're just giving me a platform to do my thing mm. and I'm right. going to use it. Yeah. Um, which was, I can't remember Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character's name, Schultz. Yes. Richard Schultz. Uh, that was like the first thing he said at the beginning of the movie. All we're doing what is giving them a platform. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I was actually uh, kind of surprised by Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing this character. He usually has a little bit, he's usually a little bit more of a big personality, or even if he's not a big personality, but he's more of, a, a driving person force. that I a driving force in, and in, like in the story like, more of a yeah because he was kind of just like the there the DA he yeah. was just there to be the 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 opposition and then everybody else on the other side of the aisle was the one were the driving force of the whole movie like his side yeah. of the courtroom didn't get seen very often at all it was mostly just reactions from him yeah he it was he either didn't objection do, or a look <laughs> yeah like he didn't do any decision making he he was just there to be the obstacle to, right. to get the biggest, around. The biggest decision he made was at the end when he stood up for the, you know, for the uh, the names of the troops. Yeah, which was great. And then I thought it was really wonderful that his boss there was just like, "What, what? are you doing?" And just like got pissed and left. Yeah, um, I was like, it seems kind of weird that he left there, but I guess that he was like, "Well, the trial's over. He's making a spectacle of this whole thing." <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a great ending scene, by the way. It was no, I loved it. Um, I thought really it was well, ex- really extremely well, well crafted movie. Yeah, and just it was for for it being essentially just someone reading a list of names. It was a very very powerful scene. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot behind those names. I mean, the whole the whole yes. point he made throughout that whole thing was like, well, I'm gonna make this list because I don't want people to forget why we're doing this in the first place, you know, and the reason that we're here. So yeah, um, it was a I'm, good payoff. Yeah, I'm glad that finally happened because I kept waiting because he said at one point, um, the guy who was keeping the list, there are so many names in this movie. Um, yes, <laughs> he, he said like he said he wanted to read them in in court, and then it never happened. And I was like, but is it going to happen? Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so I, I, I appreciate this movie did not like didn't waste time. Like there wasn't there were no filler scenes. It was all like it all moved the plot along or moved the feeling of the story along. Um, mm-hmm. Like they didn't bother with the sentencing. Like we all knew it was going to happen. They came back to those to those guys at the end, and that the two of the seven were gone. That they said they were going to use as a bartering chip to just yep. say we're they're going to let those guys go. There, it was all visual. They didn't speak about it. They were just gone. And then yeah, if they were well, there for the sentencing. They weren't there yeah. for for um, uh, the the verdicts. They were only there for sentencing because we all knew that they were found guilty already. Yeah, and and even if we didn't know that, like it, it's depicted in such a way that there's no way they're going to win this case. Right. Like the, the even judge. just the judge. Yeah, fuck that just judge. Being completely against them, and and I like that he's so against the disruptions in his court, but he's the biggest disruption to yeah. the proceedings in this case. Yeah. Actually um, that first scene where Joseph Gordon-Levitt was giving his, uh, his, uh, what is it called? Opening his, statement. Yeah. And he, the judge interrupted him like three times and he just kept looking back like seriously, like, can you just let me get through this? And he, yeah. he, he interrupted him to like ask for the name and then clarify that his name was Hoffman and the other guy's name was also Hoffman, but they're not related. Yeah, and okay. then he got he got uh, Dillinger's name wrong consistently, yeah. and and I like that Abby was like uh, Dillinger was a mobster. A Dillinger is a gun. A a gun. This guy's name is Dillinger, and, and he's the only one who knows uh, any correct name or, or something like that. Yeah, he was like the he's like well, I think what we've determined what we've established is that the only people who know their names are at the defendant's table. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so. Do you want to kind of briefly say what the what the film is about? It's you know it should be a pretty succinct description, I guess. Uh, yeah. So uh, the Chicago Seven were uh, protesters uh, arrested in Chicago in '68 uh, for protesting the Democratic National Convention, or protesting at the Democratic National Convention, trying to make sure that whoever got the nomination was going to be against Vietnam. Right. Uh, they all didn't really know each other. They kind of loosely knew each other, but they got arrested and charged with conspiracy to create violence, incite violence, incite riots, uh, which they hadn't done. And so the entire movie is just them sort of plotting out their their court case and, and just seeing it unfold and see how really just how they react to it and how they interact together to try to get through it and get their yep. message through and just kind of survive this. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, while consistently getting flashbacks to like that weekend where everything was happening. Also the end, the eighth musketeer um, was a black man from the black Panthers party yeah, that was Seale. there. That was the yeah, Bobby seal who was there in the city for, four hours during this same time, but didn't have anything to do with the riots, nor was he at the riots. But <clears throat> as the, but they got to arrest the, a black man. Right. And as the uh, defense mentioned that he's only added, or actually, I'm sorry, as he mentioned specifically, he's only added to this group to make sure that they can get a conviction for them. Because, yeah, to make them look scary. Exactly, make them look scary because there's the black man standing there who also just doesn't have his lawyer with him the entire time and the judge will not let him have his lawyer and will not let him represent himself, which it should, that whole thing was just so infuriating. Like, 
that the guy who played the judge was so good at pissing me off. I think that was Frank, Frank Langella. Yes, and I could not picture for the life of me where I knew him from, and I didn't want to know during the movie, so I looked it up mm-hmm. afterwards, and I know was him from the Americans. Frost Nixon? <laughs> oh. No, the Americans, which he's, he plays a great character on the Americans, and he's a great actor, but goddamn, yeah. that judge pissed me off. <laughs> he's, a, he's a stage guy. Um, Is he? Oh, he's, he's yeah. a Broadway guy? Probably, but I'm pretty sure, isn't he? I think he's British in real life. So oh, he's, probably he? a, he's probably a West End guy. But, okay. Um, but probably both. I mean, he's had such a long, like, illustrious career that I'm sure he's done both. Yeah. Um, speaking of British people playing Americans in this movie, there were a few of them. Because Frank Langella might not be British. He might be American. I could be wrong about that. But you got Eddie Redmayne playing Tom Hayden. Was that his name? Yes. No, was, was his name was really Hayden, Tom, Thomas Hayden? Or was it something else? Am I just I subtracting the church from Thomas Hayden Church? <laughs> it sounded sounded right. That's why I'm convincing it, myself it Tom, it's wrong. Or is it Tom Harden? Was it Harden or Hayden? It might be Harden. I think it's Harden. Yeah. But, so, because he, he's British, and his American accent I thought was great. It was Tom Hayden. It was Tom Hayden? Yeah. Nice. I was right, and I was wrong about being wrong. <laughs> That's the best time to be wrong. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was a great cast, and they they played well off each other. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about Sasha Baron Cohen's New York accent? It sounded like a Boston accent. <laughs> it sounded like a Massachusetts or a Rhode Island accent. It didn't sound New York to me. Maybe it was. I don't like know where Abby Hoffman was from. Like, I kept b- thinking, is this guy from Vermont? <laughs> <laughs> because, like, he had a very New England-y accent. That did, it, maybe it was a bad New York accent that I was hearing, but, yeah, I did not uh, did not get New York out of that. Maybe. Um, either way, I still felt like there were times when I couldn't tell if it was him doing an accent or if his British accent was filtering through at times <laughs> well i guess that would make sense why it sounds more like a boston accent <laughs> well but maybe i thought it was supposed to be a new york accent but because it was boston i was telling myself that it was his british accent <laughs> coming through maybe either way um, it was i i mean i've heard sasha baron cohen do different voices and accents clearly throughout all of the things he's been in but i was not used to something like that coming from him and so it took Abby, me a while to get used to Abby Hoffman was born born in Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay, well then that makes sense. <laughs> then, then I'm okay. So I am wrong about something. See, <laughs> but uh, I, well, I'm glad I'm glad I was picking up the right accent there. Um, but <laughs> but uh, it, it was it, it did distract me at times <laughs> the accent. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he gave his speech on the stand at the end, like when he was being questioned on the stand, like that that was a great great scene. He was yeah. like after all that back and forth over like the straight lace guy going on the stand. We find out he was like lost his cool on stage, so we're gonna put Abby Hoffman on on uh, on the stand. He's the he's like the hippie guy, but and he always wants the spotlight. But he did such a good job at like toning it like toning it down and being sympathetic and all that for what it was worth, you know. Yeah, and, and I guess one of the big differences, at least character wise, as far as the movie goes, is. 
Tom Hayden is, he's just who he is and is always just reacting, but Abby Hoffman is always, like, in control of what he's doing. Right. Um, so, like, he could tone it down if he wanted to. He just never chooses to because he's trying to start a revolution. Right. But then it it's like, but he knows how to act on, on the stand. He's not going to throw everything away once he has to give an honest report of what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so I do, I, 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 and I know we mentioned the 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 thing where they mention or they they list all the the names of the people who have died in Vietnam since the trial started, but the reason that they decided to do that is because they know that this trial is a distraction from what they're try what they were trying to do. Like the whole thing, the whole big spectacle of the thing was like they're just trying to distract the public from what's really going on and what the protesters are really out there for, which, mm-hmm. again, sounds very fucking familiar. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, as soon as, as soon as we find out that Trump uh, knew about Putin trying to kill American troops, he starts tweeting some bullshit, and then all the net- networks pick up that story and talk about how crazy he is. But, you know, I mean, he's weirdly uh, sly like that when it comes to... <laughs> diverting our attention from the things that it needs to be on and uh, it's not a new tactic no and the media falls for it every time trump does it yeah it's well, insane it, it, it gets them clicks and views and that's what the media is there for they're a corporation and they're there to make money yeah i forget but who still said. i was re- i read the quote somewhat recently that somebody had said america is a corporation masquerading as a government or something like that. And it's like... For sure. I'm like, oh, that's that's a very concise way to sum up all this shit that we, that we see on a regular basis. Yeah, well, when you have a government run by people who also run corporations or have their family and friends run corporations. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's... A, okay. I mean, Trump said he was going to run the country like a business. That was, I guess that was a bit untrue. He wants to, you know, run the... Nobody wants to run the business of this country like a country. <laughs> yeah. Well, when people say that, when people say that they feel like maybe, you know, because the country's often in so much debt that maybe it should be run like a business, um, I always feel yeah. like, but but businesses and governments tend to screw over the same people. And which, in the which U.S. Which is the people at the bottom. And in the U.S., businesses are people. <laughs> Yeah, well, as as long as uh, donating money to political campaigns is concerned. Yeah, and a, well, yeah, the whole. I, I feel like I I know we're getting a bit off topic here, but the. Uh, I don't think Abby Hoffman would think we are. <laughs> Fair enough, I'll take that. But like the the one thing, one of the big things that the last four years has given us is pulling. What I've said before is just like kind of pulling back the cloth on all of this stuff that we held to be uh, ingrained or like accept it, we accepted or we expected it of, of our lawmakers or we thought it was part of the law. And then we realize it's really just kind of, well, everybody does it, but there's nothing that says you have to do it. Like mm-hmm. the peaceful transfer of power and, you know, and all the, and accept, conceding the election when you lose the election and all this other stuff beyond that, all of the stuff that, the people in the government have done Bill Barr and Mitch McConnell and all this stuff that like that they've been doing really kind of shows us 
where our weaknesses are in the government and what we need to shore up yeah. to make sure this can't keep happening. Betsy DeVos, Louis DeJoy. Oh my god. Yeah, all of the all of all the of all of the people who were not um they weren't appointed like they, they were they're all uh interim secretaries of whatever and they overstay their allotted time in that interim position then they were never confirmed by the Senate and the and Congress. So they can't they're not actually legally supposed to be there. But they just stay there and keep heading the Department of the Interior and selling our national parks for drilling. Like, it's mm -hmm. crazy. Uh, but speaking of things that you expect of your government and then come to find out that it's not legally bound to do so, it's like, it, it's insane that courts have decided that police officers are not legally bound to protect the citizens. Yeah. Which pretty much everyone thinks of is their job. Yeah. I don't think it's a law that says that they don't have to, but I mean, it's, it's legal precedent at this point, which is the only laws that have gotten passed in the last like four years. So. Right. And like much like the re the reason that people are rightly afraid right now about what Trump is doing with the head of the Pentagon and the secretary of defense, uh, like r appointing, you know, Trump loyalists in the, the upper echelons of the Pentagon because the previous Secretary of Defense would not let him deploy American troops on U.S. soil to quell these pro these quote-unquote violent protests in, like, Portland and these, uh, whatever he called them, liberal cities. Um, mm -hmm. and Sanctuary cities? The, I think that was a different thing. Like he had, he, they had, there were sanctuary cities that said they wouldn't oh. give, over, give over people to ICE you but, think all of them are not sanctuary cities to this man who doesn't think things through? <laughs> no, they are. But there were three specific cities that were designated. I think it was like Seattle, Portland, and New York mm -hmm. were designated as like um, something specific that was like they these people are like terrorist cities and they're, an they're Antifa cities or something like that. And they are, uh, I think it seems like he was setting up the groundwork to allow him to deploy military forces to you know which we found out they were deploying undercover military forces without badges and unmarked vans to take protesters in portland which is insane in the united states and it seems like he's kind of laying the groundwork to be able to do whatever he wants to do now by installing people that will just say yes to him in the top of the pentagon and that's very concerning for a country that is apparently democratic and <laughs> should not be having American troops attacking American people, much like we shouldn't have police officers in protests starting the actual riots. And I'm, you can decide if you think I'm talking about the movie or the last year of our lives. Yeah, or, or police just chomping at the bit to have a reason to start the violence. Yeah, or police tweeting... Anybody who voted for Biden should be beheaded or hung or hanged or whatever, whatever that guy said. That I thought he said police it was Louisiana either beheaded or, or decapitated. I can't remember. There were but it was ones. definitely of the removing of that. I think Steve, oh, Bannon, I saw the Steve Bannon said that some that somebody should be decapitated. People that Democrats should be decapitated. <laughs> like it's crazy the things that these like public officials are saying right now, and nothing is really happening to them except their YouTube channels getting shut off. Yeah, but <laughs> and that's the the biggest crime that their followers see is that now they don't have free speech. 
Oh, yeah. Even though they do. It's not like they're getting arrested for it. No, but inciting violence is not covered in free speech. Nope. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, what, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think what we're trying to say is this movie was so good that it infuriated us about everything. Yeah. And it brought up everything. The irony of uh, them being tried for conspiracy while the judge is and the prosecution are clearly conspiring even if not even if they don't really know each other (laughs) they're clearly conspiring (laughs) against these people to set them up as patsies and distractions or whatever so i i found that wonderfully ironic the way they did this you know in the movie but it's sad that it's actually a real true story but that that judge was so like he had made up his he'd made his judgment before he'd even heard any arguments Mm -hmm. like that's Right there is grounds for dismissal of that of that judge or recusal. Yes. I mean, there are so few moments where he gets any sort of come up or, or anything, or so few people even stand up to him in a way that is satisfying to watch. But the moment where he, you know, has Bobby Seale, like, bound and gagged, essentially, oh because he won't stop talking. And then uh, Schultz, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, has them all approach the bench and is basically trying to find the most political way of saying don't do this just just cite a mistrial let him go i mean honestly all he said was you have a black man bound and gagged in a u.s court on american yeah. soil and he goes are you saying that i'm racist yeah. nobody uh, well, oh, well sorry, yeah I, the other guy said that yeah well yeah no i i like that the judge is like i have been doing this for this many years and you know this is the you're first, the first time, <laughs> and you're the first person that has ever said that I am acting a certain way towards uh, a, a black person. And then the other attorney's like, well, consider me the second. Yeah, that was a badass line. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but man, man, like the, I, 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 I haven't looked into the reality of all of the stuff in this movie or anything that didn't really happen, but I have yeah, to I'm sure there's that really did happen. I hope I I hope to God. I, I'm sure that there is at least one really great book to read about this. Uh, actually, I I don't know anything about Steal This Book. I wonder if it includes you know, any stories about this. That's a good That's a good point. Maybe I should put that on my list. Yeah, um, I should. I probably should too. Um, uh, it's hard to steal from Amazon though. We'll have to go to a <laughs> brick brick and mortar bookstore to steal it. Yeah. I like that when they, they mentioned, like, uh, steal this book, sold this many copies, but it's really hard to tell because the title was steal this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and what now, who was it? Like, I wrote down the quote, but I can't remember who said it. I can't remember if it was Bobby Seale or if it was the Black Panther leader, the other guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he he said, you understand that he was talking to the guy about how he is uh, protesting against the war, and he's like, you're just doing this as a fuck you to your fathers, right? Oh, yeah, that was Bobby Seale. Okay, that was Bobby Seale. And, he's, and yeah. I like that he was like, a fuck you to your father is different than a rope in a tree. You understand that, right? And he was like, mm-hmm. yes, I understand that. <laughs> like, yeah. I think this is after they went to tell him that the other guy had been killed. It was in that scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was a, that was a, that was a hard scene as well, but that, that line really like, stuck with me. Um, just like to be like, do you realize, do you recognize your privilege? Do you recognize the difference here? (laughs) 
mm-hmm. you see what they're doing to me and to us. Yeah. Like, well, even just the fact that uh, Bobby Seal was the only one of <clears throat> the ones on trial who was brought in in handcuffs. Yes. Well, I mean, just like, and, like I a mean, good image. Yeah, of course. I, I I wrote that. That was one of the first things I wrote down. The black man coming in is the only one coming in in cuffs. Everyone else is walking in freely. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, he was had been arrested in Connecticut for another uh, for the attempted or for the murder of a police officer, of which he was mm-hmm. later acquitted and wrongfully accused or something. Mm-hmm. Um, no surprise there. But um, but yeah, like the, the imagery alone is enough. Between that and then later. The fact that he, throughout the movie, he is denied counsel and he's denied the ability to speak for himself or cross-examine or cross any of these witnesses or anything. And then when he asks for the right that he has in the United States to have an attorney president or to cross-examine a witness himself, he's bound and gagged. Like that imagery yeah. right there is, yeah, that's that's messed up and just like that really kind of paints exactly the picture they're trying to paint. Yeah, and and when he does finally have that like ammunition to be able to defend himself in court, and the judge is just like, "Where do you learn this stuff?" Yeah, yeah. Instead of instead of reacting to what he's saying, which is reasonable, he his his uh, reaction is to attack his intelligence and wonder where he's getting all this stuff fed to him from. Like he's yeah. the the judge is so defensive any time. He speaks at all. Stark. I mean, he's he's defensive against anybody on the on the defense on the defense side. But man, the way he talks to Bobby Seal is like completely different. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was extremely frustrating uh, to watch. I mean, I love the movie, but it was very very frustrating to watch. Yeah. Um, this this doesn't have to do with anything uh, political or even really the story of the movie, but. The, the opening, like, three minutes, like, it, it opens as if it's going to be, like, a classic comedy film. Like, it's got, like, the happy-go-lucky music, and it's got, you know, all the different characters, like, getting ready for their trip, essentially. Yeah. And there are, like, a couple funny moments, and, it, like, it looks like they're all gonna, it's just the guys getting together to meet up for their summer road trip, you know? Yep. Um... It was very, it was an interesting choice. And then, I mean, it's it's Aaron Sorkin, so the tone of, of the movie never gets that dark, even when it's dealing with really dark stuff. Because, I mean, it's all just in the dialogue and with the way the characters play together. That's where the mm-hmm. darkness comes from. But um, it's I feel like it's like within the viewer to feel the darkness because it's not being shown tonally on on screen as much yeah but although i think i don't think it was hard to find it wasn't that far below the surface yeah well but i mean it depends on who the viewer is (laughs) i think yeah we bring Um, our own biases to the table here and then i I also want to say when towards the end of the movie when the lawyers figure out that their star witness has got to be the the previous um Attorney General. D- Attorney General. I was going to say yeah. Defense Secretary. Uh, Attorney General. And they get to the door, and the door opens, and you can't see in. I was like, I feel like they're setting us up to really want to see who is playing this 
former attorney general. So I sat back and I was like, who's it going to be? And then as soon as they cut to Michael fucking Keaton, I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) I would never have expected Michael Keaton to be in this movie at all. And within like two sentences, this is one of the best things to happen in this movie. Yeah. That was it. it. That was that was the nice scene as well, where he kind of just let them kind of make fools of themselves before there. He was like, "So when do you want me in court?" <laughs> yeah, it, it was a great scene because the fact that uh, the the new attorney generals, like men, are there and that they were invited there, it starts from this really negative point where, like, there's a mountain to climb just to get this guy into court with them, and they keep trying and trying. And it feels like they're getting somewhat closer. And then he's just like, no, I'm there, man. I just wanted yeah. these fuckers to hear me say it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. It was, that was, that was well orchestrated. Um, and it was, uh, it, it was some, it was somewhere around that period of the movie, I think, where they were all having the conversation in the house and like arguing with each other. And I think it was Hayden that said to Abby that, like, if you don't win elections, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what is second on your list. And I can't believe yeah. I still have to explain that to you. Um, and then he came back with a with a good retort as well. But I thought Hayden made a good point there where it's like, I mean, that, that's, that, that's a very good point that if you don't win elections, you're not going to make the change or the revolution that you want to make. So yeah. unfortunately that that is like the two sides of the coin. You have to, you know, stand up and be be loud and be wild, but you also have to be strategic about how you're doing this stuff. Yeah. And and as far as just having, you know, winning elections being goal number one, like that's still a battle that progressives and everyone on the left are are fighting because yes, I've uh, I've met Bernie Sanders. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I know Bernie. I know of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, no, I just mean just just the constituents within the party itself. When you know a good portion want the progressive candidates and a good portion want the centrist candidates who can win, right. like Joe Biden. Uh, and it's 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 that battle of. Do we just try to win the election? Like, do we put someone who can't get everything we want but can win the election in? Yeah. Or do we really try to push the progressive, like, radical side of it and and try to make change that way? It's not an yeah, easy it's, answer. It's not an easy answer, and especially the fact that the, 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 the problem here with, with, with the two-party system being the way that it is is that if we did that, that will ju- that will only divide the Democrats and push the centrists away from the progressive left party, you know, uh, guy, Bernie or whoever you want to put in there. And then that will be less votes on the Democratic side, which thereby gives the Republican side that has, we'll all get behind whoever's there. Mm-hmm. More votes and then we lose all leverage that we have. So it's like, it's it's a really hard question to answer where it's like well do i stand you know do we stand up for all the things we want or do we take some of it as we go you know yeah yeah the the republicans are much better at, at teamwork yes than the sadly democrats are sadly that's true <laughs> <laughs> we're all yeah. individualists over here we yeah, are well, not a, we're not a good military <laughs> well it seems like they don't mind ganging up on people whereas 
a lot of people on the left try to not do that. I'm not saying they don't do it. I'm just saying a lot of them try not to do it or try not to have the appearance of that at least. Yeah, I feel like some of that metaphorically at least goes back to The Rock last week when we were talking about a good military can't have a bunch of individualists. They all have to fall in line. That's why the Democratic Party doesn't know how to fight. (laughs) And the Republicans (laughs) are always winning these battles. Yeah, that's actually a great point. Yeah. I mean, there um, are Democratic generals and stuff in, in the government, but not, not, not as many. Sure, but I was being metaphorical, not, uh, not literal. No, I, I got you. <laughs> I, I, I understood. So, um, I was being ironical. It's, I mean, I could not think of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to take a quick break and then come back and get into some lessons? Yeah, I think I'm ready for some lessons that we've probably already been talking about. All right. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be right back. I've been, yeah. I've definitely been there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's come back. Well, yeah, I think we're back. All right. So, so, was it just me, or when we were watching this, did you think this should have been our election day movie? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I feel like we're talking more about the topics that we <laughs> we probably would have wanted to get into about the election. Um, yeah. But who? Um, but who knew? Yeah, I, I'd never seen it. And again, neither of us knew too much about what yeah. actually happened. And we still don't. I, I Actually, I need to look into getting a book or something or maybe find a nice documentary or both about the events. Yeah, I'm interested in learning more about this for sure. I mean, this trial lasted, what, 130 some days, 150 more, some days, like something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure a, a book about it will be lengthy. Yeah, but and I'm sure it'll be even more infuriating to read what actually happened as opposed to what happened in the movie. Yeah. But well, anyway, if you get a, you get a good voice actor to uh, read it to you, then <laughs> it'll be a little yeah. easier to stomach. <laughs> yeah, if I get like I don't know, Dom DeLuise or someone, you know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, this um, yeah, we I know we already kind of got into some of the election or some of the election, some of the lessons here. Where I was talking about the elections, that's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, you have to make your battle plans and be strategic, and if you don't win elections, you're not going to get things done. Like it's not a, it's not going to be a revolution the way that the American Revolution happened. We're not going to hopefully we're not going to take up arms or have to take up arms against our government. Hopefully, we can democratically change things and vote for the change we want. But I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from this movie being 50 years ago and still being so pertinent to what's happening today is that progress is slow. Yeah, it, progress is slow when you're trying to do it the right way. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, yeah. And when yeah. and when you're fighting opponents who are not uh, opposed to breaking the rules. Yeah, um, the, the government doesn't tend to work extremely fast. Yeah. Unless unless they have a majority of power and then they could just do whatever they want. But, I'm sure somebody's like, wait, did you just take an hour and a half of a podcast to tell me that the government works slowly? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think once we edit this down, it's not going to be quite that long. But yeah. But point still stands. <laughs> yeah. 
you got to pick which revolution you want, right? If you want the well, peaceful, if you want the peaceful re- revolution, it's it's going to come at the cost of time. And if anything, as we've said too, uh, cyclic. This is cyclical, and uh, history definitely repeats itself. And people forget, or people don't know in the first place. Like we didn't know mm-hmm. details of this trial. Um, you know, the thing is, there's so much history, and now there's so much content, whether it be fiction, nonfiction, or whatever, and so many sources that are that could be questionable or uh, unreliable or have ulterior motives that we are being told is what the truth is. It's hard to find out the truth of the present, let alone the truth of the history uh, of, of, you know, of history of the world and the United States. So it's really difficult to be able to like learn from history when you're not even 100% sure that history is true. <laughs> At the beginning of this podcast, we talked about the people's history of the, of the United States. Mm. A book that teaches you all of the stuff you were taught in United States history classes is more or less a glossed over version and a rosy version that the American government wants you to believe. So you believe more in your country and you, you know, you whatever, want to stand up for your country or go to war for your country, whatever it happens to be disenfranchise people, whether they be uh, Native Americans or black people or whoever it was, are not represented to this day the way that they could or should be. Women as well. Like so mm-hmm. so many so many people have been sidelined and disenfranchised throughout the history of the world, let alone the last three hundred years of American history. How do we know where to start to find out what you know what history we don't want to repeat yeah i mean it's tough because as you said the the history we learn isn't necessarily the true story or at least not the the full full story story. right so it really becomes sort of up to each individual to find out for themselves and even then it's still a game of do I believe this or do I, or do I not believe this? Yeah. And man, which is the hardest system. part. <laughs> yeah. It, it, to, <laughs> um, but I'm glad you brought up uh, a people's history again, because I'm looking at a couple of the lessons that I wrote down and I realized that they're all kind of linked thematically of the idea that th- this movie is kind of about the, idealism of what like the ideal of what america is versus the reality of it as told through its court system so like the american court system is this ideal of everyone's innocent until proven guilty everyone gets a fair trial um like everyone is basically treated well until they're found guilty and but we know that's not true we see yep. it time and time again that that's not true. And this is just a personal story of how that's not true. So uh, with that in mind, here's my first lesson that I wrote down, which is it has to do with uh, the way Schultz, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, was introduced because he gets that big introductory scene and then he's such a minor character for the rest of it. So I was trying to think of why give him that big scene other than the fact that it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who you have to pay a lot of money probably to be in this movie. Right. <laughs> um, and But he, he's introduced as someone who doesn't think that these men should be on trial because he knows the 
he's seen the truth of, of what it is. And even the law that they're throwing at him is a law that's never, if not, or seldom used. So no one knows what it's going to be like to use it. But so it, it paints him as this more sympathetic character. And it shows that um, he's not just... So either way, he's going against his beliefs to just do his job. Right. So it, either because he's sympathetic, either he's not the monster he appears to be, because otherwise this character would just appear to be the faceless monster at the end of the cave that you have to kill, you know? Or he's even more of a monster because he's going against his his personal beliefs to uh, uh, accomplish, right? You know, which is to just do his job, right? Which, which is, is all it all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Yeah, and, and then I realize that the, this also speaks to a bigger problem, which is when it comes to people like these protesters. Essentially, the message is fine, but the way you're saying it isn't and so it's just the government trying to say if we disagree with your words we can't arrest you for your words but we can arrest you for the way you've done it even if we have to lie about it um and i feel like giving the prosecutor this kind of backstory where he's against doing it but doing it anyway is just a personification of the american system's just going to come for you it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong yeah, and as as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, it might be kind of saying also that if you join this system, no matter how good your intentions are, you're probably going to end up having to do things that are against those ideal dreams that you had about what you could do in that position. Or maybe you think you have to you'll have to do these things that are not tasteful to you to stay in a position of power so you can maybe do something better in the future and prevent someone less, uh, less caring or whatever, uh, less leaning towards what you think the American system should be in that position. Like if he did well in that trial, maybe in the future he could rise the ranks and end up being a force for good. You know what I mean? It's this weird, like you have to toe the line. instead of a lawyer. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I mean, I, I mean, I just took that out of for what you were just from running with that from what you were just saying, like thinking about what his mindset might be. He just has to yeah. do his job and stay in that position because if he gets fired, he can't do anything good yeah. in that position, and he's just going to be replaced by somebody who can probably do worse and will be the yes man that the 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 government wants. Yeah, and and if he gets fired from this job, he's just going to get a lower position job somewhere else. Right. Like he's exactly. never where, where rise he's going to have this less. rank again. Right, he's gonna have. He's not gonna have the power he had, or be able to rise to any higher position. Um, so actually, and you know, I didn't really think about that before. I'm glad you mentioned him. I didn't think of that part of it either. Uh, I'm glad you did uh, too. So um, uh, another lesson I thought of was uh, the rules and the system that dictates those rules are often stacked against the ability to do the right thing, but the right thing still has to get done. Yeah. Say that um, again. <laughs> the rules and the system that dictates those rules mm -hmm. are often stacked against the ability to do the right thing. Okay, so it's a little bit contradictory. <laughs> um, like, I'm mean, not 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 your your sense your sentiment, but the reality is a bit contradictory and hard to uh, hard to navigate. Yes. Um, yeah. Just essentially, 
there's a system that says you should do the right thing, but is constantly preventing you from doing it. Um, I don't know why I worded it so flowery, but <laughs> it, that was just the first sentence that came out when I was typing it up. Um, I have to imagine I'm probably not the only one hearing it that might want to hear it twice, and now they don't have to rewind to hear it the second time. <laughs> it made a little more sense to me the second time. Um, I think I said yeah. it slower the second time, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and that that's a that's a good that's a good point and i think some of the hypocrisy of the government not treating everyone the same is shown in this movie as well like so it's hard mm. to know how to do the right thing when you don't know how you're going to be treated for it if you're a black man in the courtroom you're not even going to be given counsel you're not you're not going to be given representation or a fair trial if you're the protesters, you're not even going to be given respect from the judge, and you're going to be judged before your trial even starts. Uh, if you're the prosecutor, you're going to be expected to do this or that. If you're a police officer, you're going to be given the benefit of the doubt that there's no way you could have started a riot or done anything wrong, and everything you say is going to be seen as true. You know, all these levels of, and I mean, even and if you're the judge, you just get to do whatever you want and be um, be how this judge was being and not doing his job correctly or giving them the benefit of you're innocent until proven guilty. He'd already known what he was going to be. So he got to be that guy. And he mm -hmm. showed deference to the attorney general when the attorney general was on the stand that like he even gave him, he actually like stood back to the eternal attorney general when he was saying things that he didn't want him to say really. Yeah. Um, he was like, I, I really think you might want to step down. Yeah, that was like the only time you got to see the judge kind of be, show that he isn't—he wasn't the top guy in the room for for once. It was like this—this yeah. this was our attorney general. It's because of who he is and who he was and who his boss was. Um, he worked for the president, basically. So, yeah. getting to see all those levels of power, like there are so many levels in this movie, and they all have to, can behave differently and have to behave differently to fit into their part of the system. And. They're all people who were hired to do the right thing, essentially. But even, even I think we've talked about before in other movies, even the ones who have the intentions of doing the right thing, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie, their jobs so often just make that impossible for them to do. Yeah. Well, the road to the White House is paved with good intentions maybe <laughs> or sure. something something like that <laughs> um <laughs> i guess that could be that could definitely be one of the one of the lessons we could find in here is that a, a lot of these people or most most if not all of these people probably started out their jobs or their careers or whatever whatever you want to call it um with good intentions or with the hope to do something good and were potentially corrupted somewhere along the way mm -hmm. um you know, and so, some of the protesters are still in that younger idealistic phase. Some of them didn't grow, like Dave didn't grow out of that. Or, you know, he was a um, conscientious objector to World War II, he said. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, I think a lot of people would disagree with you on that one. But um, he said, I'd love to have that conversation later. Um, but like, you, you get to see all these like idealistic people, which is very much what Aaron Sorkin is. If you've ever yes. seen The West Wing, he is a very idealistic kind of guy. Like, if you watch The West Wing now, if you see the things that they consider a scandal 
on the West Wing. <laughs> like you, it's it's very much fiction at this point. Well, it was the nineties. <laughs> yes, but I mean, yeah, it was a great story, but it's definitely like flowery and uh, mm-hmm. and very much in the like starry eyed kind of way. Um, I love the way he writes, but he definitely does have that kind of like happy ending type of bent to him. Mm-hmm. And like this, I want to show you a picture of what this country could be instead of telling you how bad it really is right now. Well, I mean, there's an argument for both. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. No, for sure. I mean, I like it's nice it, you know? to have nice to have both cuz I mean, yeah. I don't want every movie I watch to be uh have a down ending. No, no. I, agree. <laughs> I don't want I don't want the You don't want frozen, a series of down endings. Carbonite. What? <laughs> <laughs> I said you don't want a series of down endings. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I want to see the, I want to see the, the the ending, the happy ending, and the yeah, you want to see the Ewoks. Yeah, I guess that's a happy. Ending. <laughs> that might be well. They're that having be, a party uh, at the end. That could still be controversial in the uh, Star Wars uh, community. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, to, to, yeah. To sorry. go along with all of these thoughts, the the last big one I wrote down was, independence is the freedom we're promised and often denied. Hmm. Um, I like that one. Thank you. But it's it's pretty much the same thing as I said before, but in a much cleaner, clearer sentence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I, I can see that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Or a protest sign. I, I would love it on either. A, a t-shirt <laughs> of a protest sign. There you go. There we go. Um, it could be Wiley Coyote falling off a cliff, but holding that protest sign up instead be, of yipes. <laughs> that'd be great. And the cliff will just be labeled America. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically just it's a, it's a meme. cartoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a meme, I guess that's what you call them now. <laughs> well, I mean, because it would be a pre-existing image with words right, splattered right, right. over it, so it would be true. a meme, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, did, did you have... Because we already basically spoke about that one. Like I said, it's just a rewording of the other one. Did you have, have any lessons? I didn't have any other lessons, um besides the ones we already talked about and uh, a few that I figured out while we were talking, which is great, which is my favorite part when that happens <laughs> on yeah. when we talk about <laughs> stuff like this that I didn't think of at all. Uh, uh, the last one I did write down, which it's not really a big lesson in the movie, but a big lesson for everyone to learn is that ideas scare those in power more than any person can. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, very, very true also. Like V says in V for Vendetta, beneath this robe were only ideas, and ideas are bulletproof. Yes. I didn't remember that quote, but it's a good one. Um, unfortunately, uh, ideas are, are bulletproof, but not bullets. And sometimes you can't fight police with guns with ideas. No, um, I totally understand. Yeah. So um, that's another that goes back to if you don't win elections, it doesn't matter how good your second idea is. <laughs> um, uh, so definitely, definitely very true. I, I love I love that. And I love that the idea of uh, the idea of this country continues to, you know, uh, inspire people um, despite where we are right now. Um, mm-hmm. But the idea of what this country could be is inspirational and uh, and people still believe in it and they will keep on fighting for it. And the fact that we 
can still have that hope that we can amend these bad laws and we can overturn these things that are keeping people from being equal, uh, then, I mean, the fact that, that, that that's all we have as far as the hope for our country to survive or ever be something that we can be proud of is the hope that it will, it can and will change. And we have the ability to do that as a group of, of people with similar ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would so. say the thing that makes me most proud of my country or the, the people out there protesting and fighting the good fight. And even like people like, as far as politicians go, people like Bernie and AOC. Yeah. <clears throat> even, even like Pete Buttigieg, who, mm-hmm. I mean, he was only a mayor. It's not like he could do much, but he's still well, out there he, try, he, tr- he, trying to spread the word as best he can. Oh, he's been doing a lot for the for the Biden campaign. Yeah. Uh, have you? Yeah. Have you? Have you I mean, seen I know, a, I know, I know. He's been on on TV, and that's what I meant by like you know spreading the word, like trying to. Yeah, no, he's been doing great. Get, get it out there as much as possible. He's been doing great stuff for for the Biden campaign, and you know, he's. I think he really helped. Um. Yeah. You'll yeah. probably get a nice uh, cabinet position out of it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, ironically, the thing that I'm the most proud of is also the people. But the people that I'm the most proud of in this in, in the U.S. is are the individualists and, like, the people who are themselves and are not afraid to stand to say, I'm a democratic socialist and this is wrong and this is, you know, like, the people who are... Like, well, I, I appreciate what this guy is doing, but we're not going far enough. You need to push it farther than that. Like the people that are not afraid, like AOC and Bernie, yeah. to get out there and say what needs to be said and stand up to the people that you need to stand up to, whether or not they're in your party. Like you have to, we have to find the flaws in our own party as well and fix those flaws so we can be, that the whole thing can be better. Um, yeah, but that but that's also what makes finding the common ground more difficult. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the in, individualist because uh, they make me proud too. Not just the people who aren't afraid to stand up and say I'm a democratic socialist, but anyone who isn't afraid to stand up and say they're gay or or trans oh, yeah. or or anything that basically scares like enough of the populist that has forced people to hide who they are yeah uh for forever and yeah. and and now we're finally getting to a point where it's not that they're less scared but they're finding more power in numbers and they're finding more power in people who are willing to help and just but them just being even without the other people around them just be, being able to say this is who i am and yeah. you can't make me illegal and to that same point, really uh, it's nice that that people that the people we just elected, the person we just elected, is saying what is naming them in in the, in their speeches and saying, "I will support the LGBT community," and so on and so forth. He he named the trans Americans in his his acceptance speech. Like you can't, it's like you can't be what you can't see, kind of thing. Where like if the, and we're we're electing the first uh, black gay um, senators or state senators or whichever they are, and the first mm-hmm. uh, tr- trans senator, uh, state senator in Delaware, um, and there are so many more people 
of these relegated groups in power now. So like people, the young people can look up to them and say, I don't have to be afraid to be this person. I can be, I can, I can you know, see somebody who inspires me and I can, that's what I can reach toward. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, um, that, that's one thing that does make me proud that we're still moving in good directions in many ways, even if it feels like we're stepping backwards a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's Progress is slow. <laughs> it's the best of times, it's the worst of times, right? <laughs> yes, it's the tale of two countries. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes a little too real. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah. well, that's good that we can have conversations like this and still be laughing at the end of them. <laughs> it got a little well, heated there. It did. It probably, our, our ease at the end of this conversation, and it probably has a lot to do with our privilege. Definitely, and the fact that we're both angry about the same thing and not angry at each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a big difference. Yeah, uh, I can't go. Maybe I'll post the link to this on Parlor or something. See what they think of it. <laughs> is that Ted Cruz's thing, or is that he? Did he yeah. just like? Is he, he just like did, the one who's pushing it? Yeah, he's pushing it. Yeah, is that the like uh, conservative social media platform or something? Yeah, well, it's the freedom of speech social media platform, <laughs> which is. I did look. I downloaded it. Wanted to see what it's about, and it's yeah, it's mostly just. Uh, people posting links to Breitbart and things like that. <laughs> it's TikTok for conservatives. It's not even TikTok. It's just Facebook <laughs> no, for conservatives. I didn't know what it was. I, <laughs> I thought Facebook was Facebook for conservatives. Yeah, but they're tired of Facebook and Twitter getting their posts like taken down uh, or flagged for not being true. Right. So now they have a place where they can go where that doesn't happen. Right. <sighs> Well, let me know how that goes. Um, at least you won't be getting your your uh, Trump campaign emails anymore. I'm or still getting probably them. Will. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah, the, the election's not over yet, my friend. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. I'm getting the the well, it's the text. I stopped getting the emails a while ago, but I still get the text. Yeah, um, yeah, that's still fun. <laughs> I'm glad it's fun for you. Um, Sixty yeah. percent of those donations go to paying back campaign debt. Debts, by the way. I know. <laughs> I re- I've read the articles. And I'm like, and I'm, a part of me was like, well, I'm not surprised you're being conned. And part of me is like, well, you know what? If you're dumb enough to give money to these guys, then so what? But then uh, the other the other side goes, well, but now he's going to get away with all this. You know, he's going to come out on top with all this he, stuff. He was going to find a way out of debt anyway. He always of does. Of course. Of course. But this is just the way he's finding it this time. Yeah, I, 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 a big part of me believes that the only reason he's still fighting the election is to get all these contributions and pay off as much debt as possible before he just hands over the reins. Yep. Yeah, it would not surprise me. But anyway, uh, maybe next week we'll do a fun movie again. Yeah, we should do a fun one. <laughs> Even though we just did one last uh, week, maybe we should do true. another fun I one I mean, I don't know. Next week. I, 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 I do enjoy these conversations. Um, Me too. But maybe we do something in a completely different vein that doesn't take us down the political road as much. <laughs> sure. Because last well, week we got into political ter- territory anyway. <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll watch uh, like Requiem for a Dream or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Train spotting. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'd rather watch Train Spotting if I'm being honest. Um, Me too. Than Requiem for a Dream, definitely. <laughs> yeah. But we'll figure it out. But we probably yeah. won't do either of those. Sorry no. to all the listeners. Yeah, sorry to all you guys who made it this far. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I, I only have to imagine if you made it this far, you agree with us for the most part. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for sticking with us. And yeah. uh, if you want to get in touch with us, where can they find us? Well, if you want to email us, you can do that at imitatingart1 at gmail.com. If you want to reach us uh, on the social media, it's imitatingartpod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, that's and where we're most active. Twitter, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with us individually, uh, I'm on Instagram at Don't Worry I'm Finite and YouTube.com slash Don't Worry I'm Finite. If you want to find me on Parlor, I'm Big F and Moose, and uh, on all the other social media as well. I figured why break why break the habit? I'm Big F and Moose everywhere. <laughs> That's great. Um, I'm sure you're going to get a big Parlor following, and um, sure. I'm sure most of our listeners are on Parlor as well. So maybe you can get a few more people and uh, hook up with with Teddy Boy. Um, actually, you know what? I hate to say it. Actually, I'd love to say it. If you listen to this and you are on Parlor, do not add me. I do not want to know that you are on Parlor. Yeah, don't add us. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm yeah, not well, keeping it. I'm not going to keep it for very long. So no, don't might, bother. It, uh, that, that's what you said about the about the Trump emails, and you still get those. <laughs> yeah, but this is boring already. Uh, all right. Well, it's been actual. It's been real. All right. All right. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> never not be funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don and Chuck will return in Imitating Art with Don and Chuck.